Good morning. Oh, good morning. Doesn't it feel great to be here? I am so excited and what a privilege, what a joy to be here this morning. Thank you, um, worship team, for that music. What a blessing to be still and to praise God with music. And thank you, Karen, for coming and leading us in that praise time. That was beautiful. And and I want to thank each one of you that had the courage and was willing to stand up and give your praise to the Lord. It's not easy to stand up, and yet how that inspires me and how it motivates me to look at my life and see God's work in it and thank him and praise him. So thank you, all of you. Also, a big thank you to the uh, committee, Bible City Committee, that's been working hard, getting everything ready. So thank you to you as well. I want to welcome back all of you that were here last semester as we studied Daniel, and then we took a break for Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and then New Year's, and now we're back, and it's such a joy to be here. And I also want to welcome those of you that are here for the very first time to Women in the Word. So if you're here the very first time, raise your hand if you don't mind. Let us, oh my, look at all of that. That's wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. God is so good. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. And what a great choice you all have made. In my opinion, this is the best choice you could have made for the new year to come to Thursday Morning Women in the Word, where we study the Word of God together in this great atmosphere of worship, worshiping God with music and with our praise and with studying His Word. So it's a great choice that you have made. I want to thank you for being here. This um, is the time in the morning when one of us from the teaching team comes up and gives some further insight into the scripture that we have been studying. And I am Deb Haygood, and I am part of the teaching team this semester, along with uh, Anjanette Walshhauser, Shelley Davis, Lynn Kitchens, and Vanita Jones. And this semester, we are studying the book of Mark. The Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. And I am so excited. I'm so excited to be studying this book of Mark. First, because it is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And Deuteronomy 8.3 tells us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this was Moses telling the children, reminding the children of Israel as they had gone through the wilderness, that God provided manna for them to eat every day. And it says in Deuteronomy 8, that was so they would make the connection that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This word, this is our spiritual bread. And then in Psalm 119, verse 103, it says... How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So we learn that the word of God is our spiritual bread and it tastes good. It's sweet. Those of you that are on a diet like I am physically, we don't have to be on a diet spiritually. We don't want to be on a diet. We want to be eating, um, taking in this spiritual bread and seeing that it tastes good. And that reminds me of a story. Um, my daughter told me this last semester. Um, it's about my two grandchildren that live down in Houston. Now, I have three grandchildren. Um, my very youngest, Finley, lives in town, and she is quite a joy. But this story is about Dylan, who is five, and Hallie, who is two and a half. My daughter was also goes to a women's Bible study, and she was on her way with 
Dylan and Hallie, in the back seat, and they were holding their little Bibles. Now, this is Finley's, but I brought it as a visual aid. You all recognize these little Bibles. It's a New Testament that they usually get in church when they're either a parent dedication or at some point. And so Dylan had his and Hallie had hers. And Hallie's just two, and so she probably had hers in her mouth or close to it. And so Dylan, who likes to explain everything to Hallie, says in his very grown-up voice, Hallie, do not take a bite out of your Bible. And then he goes on to hold up his Bible, which has a little tear out of the corner of it. And he says, when you were little, Hallie, you took a bite out of my Bible. (laughs) But you are big now. You are a big girl. So don't take a bite out of your Bible. Well, when Rachel told me that, I laughed because I thought of Psalm 119. And I said, hey, did Hallie say it tasted like honey? You know, is it sweet? (laughs) This semester, I want us to take a bite out of the Word of God. Not a literal bite, but a spiritual bite, a, a big bite out of the bread of life. And I want us to taste and see that it is good. It's my prayer that we will see Jesus this semester in a new way, in a deeper and more intimate way. I pray that we will see Jesus' heart of love for you and for me. I pray that we will see Jesus' heart, a servant's heart for mankind. And by seeing and knowing Jesus in this way, as the servant of God who loves us and saves us through his sacrifice on the cross, that ultimate act of service on our behalf. As we see Jesus as a servant, that we might be more willing to serve others, maybe more ready to serve others. Maybe we're just going to serve others differently. And as we see the power and authority of Jesus this semester, I pray that our faith would be deepened and strengthened so that when those trials and those hard times come along, we would be able to stand firm. When those uncertain times, when those um, confusing and sad times come, that our faith would be strengthened and we would be able to stand firm, trusting in the power and the authority of Jesus This is my prayer for us, and Mark is just the book to do it. I'm excited about Mark because he writes this book with excitement. He knows the good news that God is passionate to save us. And so he sends um, the Son, Jesus the Son, to earth to do that very thing. Jesus makes a way for each one of us to have a relationship with him, the Holy God, And a relationship that will last forever throughout eternity. This is good news. And Mark is in a hurry to tell it. Because Mark knows this relationship will forever change our lives. That it will free us from sin and give our lives purpose and joy. Mark's gospel is crisp and it's fast moving. In fact, the Greek word eutheos is used over 40 times in the book of Mark. And that word translates to immediately or as soon as, or as without delay. So look for those words as we move quickly through this book of Mark. The theme of Mark's book is uh, Mark 10.45, and that is on your verse sheet. This is the key verse in the book of Mark, and it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We get our title for this semester's study from this verse, Jesus Servant and sacrifice. Mark presents Jesus as the Son of God who comes to earth as God's servant on the move 
instantly responsive to the will of the Father. Mark doesn't spend a great deal of time with long discourses and teachings of Jesus. Instead, Mark tells us the miracles of Jesus. We see um, 20 miracles presented in the book of Mark. And these miracles are to d demonstrate not only the power of Jesus, but also the compassion of Jesus. Mark writes his gospel uh, of Jesus for, uh, predominantly for the Roman Gentile Christians. They were in Rome and they needed to know about Jesus during this increasingly hostile time. And you know from history um, that it was a very hostile time in Rome. Mark probably wrote this gospel during um, 55 to 65 AD. And that was the time of Nero, the Roman emperor. And you remember Nero. He threw the Christians in the Colosseum with the lions just for entertainment. And he had them imprisoned, arrested, killed, tortured in horrible ways. Um, it was a hostile environment for the early Christians, especially in Rome. So Mark writes this book for them. Mark's book, uh, in Mark's book, we always see Jesus moving forward to the cross and the resurrection. In fact, 40% of Mark's book is spent talking about the last week of Jesus on earth, the Passion Week. We see that in chapters um, 7 to 11. Actually, 9 to 11. Seven's when he's going to start going back there. Tradition um, tells us um, about some things about Mark and then some things we learn about Mark from Scripture. And you look that up in your uh, small groups today. We learn that Mark's name was John Mark. And that John is uh, the Jewish name or a Hebrew name. And Mark is the Greek name. This author of Mark, we see um, his mother is Mary and that she lives in Jerusalem. And that she was a believer of Jesus. Probably she had a home that was fairly large because we see the early Christians meeting there to pray. Uh, Mark was probably a young teen when Jesus was uh, in Jerusalem, and he might have known him. He may have probably seen him, at least, before his death on the cross. Tradition tells us that Mark was close to Peter, and probably uh, much of his information comes from Peter's uh, experiences and witness of Jesus. Peter may have been the one who led Mark to salvation because in 1 Peter 5, you read that verse that where Peter calls Mark his son. Now, he wasn't his literal son, but Peter was probably uh, the spiritual father to Mark. We also read today where um, Barnabas was um, the cousin to Mark. And when Barnabas and Paul went on a missionary journey, they brought Mark along. But for some reason, Mark bails early and he goes back home. We don't know if he's homesick or sick or scared or what, but he goes back home. So the next time Barnabas wants to take him on a missionary journey, Paul says, no way. No way, we're not taking Mark. And they um, get in a disagreement and they split up. Barnabas takes Mark and Paul takes Silas and they go their different ways. <clears throat> we know that... Um, Barnabas, whose name means encouragement, must have worked with Mark, must have mentored him and brought him along, encouraged him. And Mark matured in the faith to the point where he did help Paul in his ministry. And Paul was very appreciative. He speaks highly of Mark. So we also see Paul's influence in the book of Mark as well. 
Mark was very excited to portray Jesus in such a way that we would come to know and understand Jesus more completely. And so I want us to look at the book of Mark in that way, as if we were um, young believers in Rome, hearing these stories of Jesus for the first time. So for those of you that have walked with Jesus a long time, I want you to look at these chapters and verses with fresh eyes and open hearts to um, see new truths about Jesus that we might have missed before. And if you are here and you're a young believer or a new believer, then this will be a great study for you. A great study as we look at Jesus, our servant, uh, the servant, and our atoning sacrifice. So let's open and look at Mark. We're going to get started here. Mark chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 1. And we're going to go through the first 39 verses of Mark this morning. And while you're turning to Mark 1... I want to um, make a note that you received, those of you that are new, you received a sheet of verses. Those are extra verses that I'm going to refer to through the lecture. You don't have to look those up. And then you also have an outline. And then you also have a map. And you will want to keep this map handy because you're going to be looking at it through this whole semester. This is a map of Palestine in the time of Jesus. This is present day Israel. And we're going to even talk about it in just a little bit. So keep that map handy. And it uh, hopefully will be useful for you as we study Mark. So let's begin looking at Mark chapter 1 verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I feel like shouting when I read these verses. I think that's what Mark meant for us to do when we read them, to shout this out. You know, Mark doesn't spend a lot of time or any time with genealogies. He doesn't, uh, like Matthew does, he doesn't spend time giving us the uh, story about the birth of Jesus like Luke does. Instead, Mark just jumps straight in with this big announcement, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this is good news Jesus uh, means, that's the uh, Hebrew word that means Yahweh saves or God saves. And Christ is a, comes from a Greek word which means anointed one. So both of these words mean Messiah, God's specific deliverer of man. He was foretold in the Old Testament and he was anticipated by the Jews. Here is the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, man and God. Human and divine. The word gospel that we see in this first verse means literally good news. It meant something significant. It happened. It happened. Originally, the term was used for lofty good news like victory in a battle or a Roman ruler coming to the throne. But the early Christians began to use this term. It was the proclamation of God's power through Jesus Christ to save all who believe. And this truly was the best good news. So they begin to use the word gospel. And we see gospel here in capital letters. I feel like Mark is uh, sort of like that newsboy that used to stand on the corner with his stack of papers. And he'd be waving it going, extra, extra, read all about it. The excitement that we see here um, as Mark tells the story of Jesus. And he keeps it moving forward. It's, it's fast-paced. And uh, we're going to like that. 
This is a good book for our day and for this generation, especially those of you that are young in the room, because we're fast paced. We're used to getting information quickly. Get to the point. What's the bottom line? You know, I've told the story um, before that my son-in-law used to say something a few years ago. He would pull out his iPhone and he'd begin checking it out. Well, really, Deb, tornadoes are in, you know, and he'd have all this information in his hand. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm still pulling out the world book and looking in the encyclopedia. Now, you know, that's an old story. Now, this, at the, over the holidays, I was with my husband and my friend, and they're doing the same thing. They're pulling out my friend, who's older than I am, pulls out her phone and begins checking out the information and telling me. We are a generation that's used to getting information fast. You are going to love the book of Mark because it's fast-paced. He keeps the story going. Mark makes the most of every word in his book. So let's look at verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now Mark quotes two Old Testament prophets here. The first one is Malachi. And the second one is from Isaiah, Isaiah 40. You may have remembered this verse when we studied Isaiah last year. Lynn Kitchens talked about it. And these verses tell us that one would come before the Messiah, making, announcing him and making a path for him. And Mark tells us that is exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 4, and so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. He was very popular. Many people are coming to hear John the Baptist. They're confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. This would remind the Jewish people of Elijah. This was how he dressed. And he ate locusts and wild honey, the diet of someone in the desert. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful, more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament prophets had said one would come announcing the coming Messiah. And Mark says this is exactly what happened. Here is John the Baptist. He comes on the scene preparing the way for Jesus. Calling the Jews to turn back to God. To repent. Get ready for the Messiah. Now the word repent means literally to turn about. It's a deliberate change of mind resulting in a change of direction in thought and behavior. It's turning towards God in belief and away from, ever, away from whatever it was that kept you from God. And many people were coming and repenting. And John was baptizing them. Now, the baptism did not give them forgiveness of sins. It was their belief in God. That gave them forgiveness of sins. The baptism was just a symbol that they had repented, had turned towards God, and that they had received forgiveness. And John the Baptist makes it clear here that he is not the Messiah. That the Messiah is coming. And there would be a big difference. John the Baptist baptized with water. But Jesus was going to baptize. He says the Messiah will baptize with the life-giving Holy Spirit. And we know today that that's exactly what happens. When we believe in Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the life-giving Holy Spirit. 
that gives us eternal life and seals us. And ladies, we are then heaven bound to live eternally with the Lord. The life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. This sounds like promoters coming um, and talking before a rock concert, getting everybody ready for the rock star that's coming. Or maybe it might be more applicable. It's like the campaign committees that roll into town and get everyone ready for that presidential candidate that's coming to uh, talk and campaign. We've seen a lot of that lately. This is what it feels like as we read this um, presentation that Mark is giving us to the coming of Jesus. And then in verse 9, we see it. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Here we see the Trinity, we see God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit all at the same time in the same place. What? An introduction this is. What a presentation. We see Mark saying, Jesus, the Son of God, is the good news. And then he tells us the Old Testament prophets are um, giving witness to it. And then John the Baptist gives witness. And then if that's not enough, God the Father says, this is my Son. Speaking to Jesus, you are my Son. As I saw this introduction, I thought about myself. And I thought, who first introduced me? To Jesus, And so I put that question on your outline. I thought it might be something you might want to think about after Bible study. Who first introduced you to Jesus? Thank God for that person and for that time. Now, I um, have on your outline that this, uh, there are two things, two events that came as a preparation for Jesus going in, starting his ministry. And this first one was this baptism of Jesus. And at his baptism, we see the humility of Jesus. We see his humility. Jesus is sinless. He does not need to repent. But he has John baptize him anyway because Jesus is identifying with Israel and the people of Israel, God's people, his people. And he's identifying with their situation caused by sin. And the baptism of Jesus signifies the beginning of Jesus, beginning his ministry. It's a dedication to his mission that would take him ultimately to the cross as the atoning sacrifice for man's sin. Philippians, if you'll look on your verse sheet, 2, 5 through 8, says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself, and that attitude of humility should be our attitude. We should have a humble attitude as we serve others. Humility is not self-focused, it's other-focused. Now, humility doesn't mean that we have no worth. It's uh, quite the contrary. We have great worth. We are called the children of God. The children of God, we have great worth. But to be humble means selflessly using what God has given us to benefit others, to serve others. 
And Jesus is our best example of humility. The next thing that we see here is, and we're going to read about it, is Jesus uh, being tempted by Satan. So let's look at verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Jesus goes out to confront Satan, and we see that he is willing to do this. At the temptation of Jesus, we see that he is willing to go and face Satan. Satan is an angel who rebelled against God. He is real. And Satan is an adversary of God. He and his forces are against God and anyone who obeys God. He is real and he is powerful, but he is not all-powerful. He does not have the attributes of God. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-present. He is not all-knowing. But he is powerful and he is real. And we see here that Jesus... um, at the temptation by Satan, we see the humanity of Jesus. And we also see Jesus' sinlessness as he withstands Satan. But even though Jesus is victorious over Satan at this point, it doesn't mean that the conflict with Satan will not continue until the cross. It does continue until the cross where Satan is defeated But what um, this does give Jesus authority over the demons during this time that he is walking on earth. And we're going to see that theme over and over again. Jesus' authority over the demons. We see that Jesus withstands Satan by using scripture. You might have gotten to that point in your questions in Matthew 4. Every time, not just once or twice, but every time, he withstands the temptations of Satan by quoting scripture. And that is how it is for us today. That's why it's a good thing to be here studying and learning and knowing the word of God. The other thing at this temptation, we see Jesus being tempted so we know that he understands our temptations. We can go to Jesus with our weaknesses and our failings and our temptations because Jesus will understand. We can ask him for help. In fact, Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you're feeling weak, when you're feeling tempted, when you're feeling that you have failed, go to Jesus. He will help you. Scripture tells us he sympathizes with us. He understands. Go to Jesus. So let's move on here and uh, look at verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Now, uh, when we see John was put in prison, that is a time reference. So we know that between verse 13 and verse 14... Almost a year has passed, and Jesus has spent that time preaching and um, healing down in the southern part um, called Judea. And on your map, 
Uh, this is where he was baptized. If you look, the squiggly line right in the middle, north and south, is the Jordan River. And you see that Jericho down at the bottom by the Dead Sea right above it. If you go across from Jericho, cross that squiggly Jordan River, on that side is probably where Jesus was baptized by John. And then he goes into the wilderness, which is right there. People that um, have been to Israel tell me that then they see the Jordan River and they see that part of the wilderness there where he was probably tempted and then he stays in that southern region but now we see that John the Baptist has been put into prison by Herod and Jesus now goes north into Galilee and so on your map if you'll look up north you will see Galilee written that is where he's going and that's where we're going to see Jesus um, for the next few chapters and weeks in the northern part in Galilee So um, let's continue reading with verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They left quickly. Thank goodness Zebedee had some hired men to help him out because Jesus called his sons and there they went. In this section, we see Jesus' plan. It was Jesus' plan to call 12 men to um, follow him, to live with him. They would become his disciples. They're also called the apostles. These 12 apostles would live with Jesus, travel with him, learn from him, listen from him. He would train them to be his chief spokesman of the gospel. Jesus would teach him the truths of the kingdom of God. And so they would go on speaking the good news throughout the world after Jesus' death. Now we know here that um, these four disciples, we're going to see more later, we learn from the book of John in the first chapter that Jesus had already met them. They had been down south following John the Baptist and they had been there when Jesus was baptized. And Jesus had met them and they believed in Jesus, and, um, but they at that time went back home to their fishing boats. But now Jesus has called them to follow him. And that's exactly what they do. They drop everything and they follow him. So let's move on. And now we're going to talk about the, um, oh, the most important part. Jesus calls us to follow him today. As I was reading this, I thought, Jesus calls us to follow him. And on your outline, I've asked that question. Are you a follower of Jesus? And I suspect that most of you in this room are, and that's why you're here, studying the Word of God. And it's my great hope that this um, book of Mark will encourage us and motivate us to continue following closely after Jesus. All of our lives. I, too, was at the uh, funeral of Camille Hammond. Um, She was going to be 94 this year, and I loved it that she followed Jesus all her life, clear to the very end. She was at Bible study, Women in the Word, many times. I think she was here even last semester. Um, I want to be like that, following Jesus, clear to the end, to the very last day. And I think this book of Mark will encourage us to do that, to follow him.
So let's move on. And we're going to look at the purpose of Jesus. Now, I've already said that Mark tells us the purpose of Jesus was to serve. And now he's going to give us some ways that Jesus served. We saw in verse 14, let's go back to that, that he proclaimed the good news of God. It says in 15, the time has come, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news He proclaims the good news. And when Jesus says repent and believe, it is one act. They are bound together. Now we've already said to repent means to turn away from whatever we were trusting in and turn towards God and believe. And Jesus is saying, I am the good news. Believe in me. Believe in me. And we know that believing in Jesus is the way we enter into the kingdom of God. If we'll drop down to verse 21, we're going to see a second way that Jesus serves, and that's by teaching and preaching. So let's read those verses. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So Jesus goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach and they are amazed because he teaches with authority. Now let me describe um, this scene a little bit more. Okay, it's the Sabbath, that means it's Saturday, and Jesus goes to the synagogue. Now synagogues came into being during the time that the Jews were in exile in Babylon. And for those of you that were here last semester, we know all about the exile in Babylon because we studied Daniel. And Daniel, along with the Jews, were taken by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon for 70 years, and the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. And so during this time in the exile, wherever there were 12 um, I mean, wherever there were Jewish men over the age of 12, they would, it took, they needed, let me see, I'm losing my notes here. I think they needed 12 men, and they needed to be over the age of 12, to start a synagogue. And in the synagogue, they would read the scriptures, and they would pray to God, and they would worship him. Now, they couldn't sacrifice, because that was only done by the priests in the temple. But in the synagogue, they could praise God, they could worship him, they could read the scriptures and pray. And it was their custom in Jesus' day to ask traveling teachers or rabbis to come in and to read the scriptures and to teach them about it. So that is why Jesus would have had such freedom to teach in the synagogue during this time. And we see there that the reaction of the people is amazement because he teaches with authority. Jesus, the Son of God, would know the scriptures. He would be able to tell them exactly what it meant. Now, the other rabbis that would come, they would read some scriptures and then they would usually quote from some other more well-known rabbi about his thoughts on this. Jesus didn't have to do that because Jesus knew exactly what it meant. And his teaching must have been riveting. Can you imagine what he said when he opened up the word of God and explained it to him? It says they were amazed. And then we also see that there is a demon here. And that he um, recognizes the authority of Jesus as well because he knows who Jesus is. He says, you are the Holy One of God. 
Have you come to destroy us? As the Holy One of God, he would be a great threat to all that was evil. So Jesus tells the evil spirit to hush, hush and come out of him. And the evil spirit obeys him. And now these people see, not only does he have authority in his teaching, he has authority over the demons. We're going to see this. We've talked about this a little bit. Jesus, we're going to see his authority over the demons throughout the book of Mark. There was a lot of demon activity when Jesus walked on the earth um, because of this ongoing conflict with Satan. <clears throat> but Jesus has authority over the demons. And then we're going to see the next part here that he um, also serves by healing. So let's look at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went into her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So Jesus just touches Simon, who is Peter, his mother-in-law, and she is instantly healed. And not only is she healed, she is completely healed. Some of you may have had that virus or cold that's going around, and you know it takes a couple of days to kind of get over it. Once you're um, well, you're still a little bit... Um, recuperating. Not so with Simon's mother-in-law. She gets up and instantly begins to wait on them. And then in verse 32 we read, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. The interesting thing here in verse 32, I want you to notice that evening after sunset. And that's important because remember this is the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, they cannot do work. And so there's only, there were rules about how far they could go and what they could do. And so now that it is sunset, the Sabbath is ended. Because Sabbath was from Friday evening at sunset until Saturday evening at sunset. So Sabbath is ended and now they're all coming. It says the whole town bringing those that are sick and demon possessed. And Jesus heals them. We see this other way Jesus serves, casting out demons and healing the sick. And then I want to close um, with uh, these last few verses, 36 through 39. I mean, 35, let's start in 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Okay, Jesus had taught all day and then he had healed half the night and he is tired and he goes to bed. But what does he do? Early, he gets up. Early, it's still dark outside. It might have been four in the morning. And he goes to a solitary place to pray, to talk to his father. Now, we might have said if we had been there, hey, Jesus, take a break. You know, just stay in bed. You worked hard yesterday and you were a success. You taught in the synagogue. You healed many people. You casted out demons. And everyone likes you, except for the demons. Everyone likes you. You're a success. Take a break and rest. But Jesus didn't want to take a break. 
That was exactly what he did not want to do, was take a break. He wanted to be with the Father because his fellowship with the Father was more important than rest. It was more important than food. It was more, more important than popularity or acclaim. This connection with the Father was paramount to Jesus. The love and the fellowship that they had together was important to Jesus. It was the most important thing. And so he didn't want to break. On the contrary, he wanted to get up and go and meet with God alone, his father. I think when um, he went to talk with his father, he received strength and he received direction. We see in John 14:10, Jesus says this to the disciples. The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And John 14, 31 says, But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus says here that um, he is doing the will of the Father and at the same time the Father is doing, working in him. I think Jesus goes to the Father and stays connected with the Father for this love, this fellowship, this direction, this strength to go on and to complete the mission that he is about, this mission that will eventually take him to the cross. And so when Simon Peter and the others come to him and say, hey, everyone's looking for you, Jesus is able to say, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to stay in the midst of um, a success, to stay in a place that's comfortable, a place that's familiar. And sometimes that's where we should be. That's where God wants us. But sometimes we're in that place of success. We lose focus. We can lose focus of what God really wants us to be doing. And I think just like Jesus goes and prays, we need to pray, to stay in connection with Jesus. We need to talk with him and to stay connected with him so that we can find direction, so that we can receive strength, so that we can stay focused on what God has individually for each one of us to do. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I hope that this prayer of Jesus with the Father has motivated you. I want it to motivate me to pray and stay connected with Jesus. Throughout the book of Mark, we are going to see Jesus staying connected with the Father and true to his mission. His mission was to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you for being here. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a gracious God you are. What good news that we read in this book of Mark. Jesus, our Savior, came for us because he loves us, loves us today. Father, thank you for the women that have come out today, and I pray, Lord, that these words would go deep into their heart, that we would see Jesus in a new way, fresh way, a more intimate way. Father, through every chapter, through every verse, Lord, bring Jesus closer to our hearts. We love you, Lord, and I thank you so much. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.